This is the Atlas Obscura Podcast. I'm Baudelaire. In 2020, my fiance Renee and I went to Ghana. 2019, the year before, was dubbed by the Ghanaian government as the Year of Return. 2019 was 400 years after 1619, which, as y'all know, is when the first African slaves arrived in America. The Year of Return was a way to recognize 400 years of resilience and to invite the African diaspora to return home. For Renee and myself, it was our first time visiting the African continent. We couldn't make the trip happen in 2019, but we wanted to be a part of the return, so we went as soon as we could in 2020. We went in February, just a few weeks before the pandemic effectively shut down global travel. We were in Ghana for 10 days, and the entire visit was incredible. But I'm going to tell you about one day that has really stayed with me. I visited the home of one of my heroes, had a real moment at the edge of the continent, and I discovered what is hands down the greatest fruit of all time. And I love fruit, y'all, so I'm not just saying that lightly. My journey to Black Star Square, after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. February 16th, 2020. It's our first full day in Accra, which is the capital of Ghana. Renee and I are sitting down for breakfast in our hotel. One of the things I love to do is try fruit in different countries. Like the watermelon in Haiti tastes different than the watermelon in France. Not sure why, but they do. And this morning, on the table, I've laid out a bunch of fruits that we bought on our way from the airport. The one I am most hype about is this fruit I'd never had before called soursop. Soursop is a light green fruit with these earthy, sometimes prickly bumps all over it. It's a weird jelly bean shape most of the time. And then when you cut it open, it's white with black seeds going down the middle. That's my fiance Renee. You'll hear from her a few times. So the hotel staff help us carve up the soursop. So we sat there and we enjoyed the juicy soursops. Soursop is so hard to describe, but it's dense, full of flavor, and it's really sweet. And I wish I had a picture of my face when I took that first bite, because damn. Anyways, we booked a tour guide for the day, and he walks in to find us stuffing our faces in soursop. And he asks us if we need more time, and I've never answered yes so fast. Renee and I are going in on this soursop, and I'm regretting that I didn't buy more. So that's how this amazing day begins. I should stress to y'all how hot it is in Ghana. It's early in the day, and it's already in the 90s. Thankfully, when we get in the car, the AC is on. But it's on, like, 
full blast. Our tour guide's name is Emmanuel. I ask if he's always cranking the air like this, and Emmanuel looks back and says, well, Americans can't take the heat, so I think it's best to have it this cold. Not gonna lie, I'm a little offended. But at the same time, the AC feels nice, so I'm just gonna keep my American mouth shut. Emmanuel's a young guy, probably about my age, and he's easygoing, always down to crack jokes. As we drive around, we chop it up about what it's like to be black in Ghana versus what it's like in America. Emmanuel asks us about things like New York City, the NBA, and Donald Trump. You know, American stuff. Emmanuel also tells us that there's been a lot of African-American expats moving to Ghana and staying. He says he actually got into being a tour guide during the year of return because there were so many new travelers to Ghana. I'd always known there was a special relationship between African-Americans and Ghana. Maya Angelou lived in Ghana for a while, and Malcolm X once said that Ghana is the most beautiful place in Africa. We pull up to our first stop, the Kwame Nkrumah Memorial. We've only been with Emmanuel for about an hour, and we can tell already that he's a pretty upbeat guy. But when we get to the Kwame Nkrumah Memorial, we notice his mood change. Africa is rich and not poor. Before I got to Ghana, I knew of Kwame Nkrumah. Like, I knew he was an important guy in the history of Africa, but not much beyond that. Emmanuel tells us he's a tough figure to describe. There's really nobody like him in American history. He's like George Washington, Malcolm X, and JFK all rolled into one guy. People from all ends of the political spectrum in Ghana see Kwame Nkrumah as the greatest leader their country has ever had. Back in 1957, Kwame Nkrumah was the leader of the movement that won independence from Britain and then was elected Ghana's first prime minister and then first president. And Nkrumah is also a hero beyond Ghana because he wasn't just about the development and progress of Ghana. He wanted progress for all of Africa. He's actually one of the founders of the African Union. In 1966, he was overthrown by a military coup, which a lot of people, including Kwame Nkrumah, say was backed by the CIA. He spent the rest of his life in exile and died in 1972. There's a small museum at the memorial where you can see pictures of Nkrumah with Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, who both admired Nkrumah. But the centerpiece of the memorial is a golden statue of Nkrumah pointing forward. Behind the statue is this gorgeous mausoleum reaching up into the sky where Nkrumah is laid to rest. And it's a fitting place for him because it was here, in this very spot, that Nkrumah stood before a large crowd back in 1957 and declared, Ghana. Ghana is free forever. Your beloved country is free forever. So we're back in the car. After driving a little while in silence, we ask Emmanuel to put on some music. And he puts on American hip-hop. Like the biggest hits from the 2000s, right? But Renee tells him, we want to hear local music. But Emmanuel says, ah, uh, nah, you guys don't want to hear that. We can hear your music. And like, he's a tour guide, right? So I think he's used to catering to the people in his car, but it seems to really surprise him that we don't want anything American. We want to hear what's good in Ghanaian music. Finally, he gives up and puts on some Afrobeat. It's this artist called Burna Boy, who's not Ghanaian, but from nearby Nigeria, but it's better than Ja Rule, so we don't say anything. We pull up to the W.E.B. Du Bois Center, and I'm excited. W.E.B. Du Bois was a trailblazing intellectual. He was the first black man to get his doctorate from Harvard back in 1895. And when asked what it felt like to be given such an honor, Du Bois said, the honor, I assure you, was Harvard's. You gotta love him. 
He wrote a lot of books and essays, but this one book called Souls of Black Folk is one of my favorites. In 1961, W.E.B. Du Bois was in his 90s and decided he was done with America and that it was time to return to Africa. When Kwame Nkrumah found out the African-American icon wanted to return to Africa, he welcomed him to Ghana and gifted him a home. That home is now the Du Bois Center. We walk in and it looks like Du Bois could still be living here. They preserved his library and the books were so old we couldn't touch the books. Listen, I really love W.E.B. Du Bois and I literally ask if I could just touch the books. But the staff at the center isn't having it. And after I ask, the staff starts watching me like a hawk. After a while, we leave the house and go into this one-room circular building. Lining the walls are awards Du Bois won during his life, his cane, and gifts from his friends. While we look in awe at all the artifacts, the guide points to two plaques on the ground and says, these are actually the gravestones of W.E.B. and his wife, Shirley Du Bois. They are buried right there in that small building next to the house. I can't believe it. I had no clue W.E.B. Du Bois was even buried in Ghana. And here I am, standing over his grave. Next door to the Du Bois Center is a building with the words African American Association of Ghana written over it. Emmanuel stays back and talks to the Du Bois Center guide as Renee and I check it out. As we walk in, we're greeted by an older woman named Edith. Edith was from Brooklyn, born and raised in Bed-Stuy. When, when she said where her brownstone was in Bed-Stuy, we were like, wait, what? And she said she sold her brownstone to live in Ghana. And then she gave us her phone number and was like, yeah, come live in Ghana. Edith tells us she's more at peace in Ghana than she ever was in America. She goes on about how easy it is to move to Ghana. And we're surprised to hear that through the whole process, her only regret is that she didn't do it sooner. It's estimated that right now, there are about 3,000 African-American expats living in Ghana. When we get back in the car, I look at the African-American Association of Ghana website, and I see this quote from another expat. It reads, My all-time favorite experience I share with friends is the ability to be Black and walk into a room here and have people think only the best of you or nothing at all. Goodbye daily microaggressions. Welcome to Ghana. After the Du Bois house, Emmanuel mentions we aren't too far from a restaurant he and his friends go to. We pull up to the seafood place right by the beach. It's got this kind of thatch roof over it. We sit in the shade and we can feel the breeze from the ocean. I tell Emmanuel about how I took an ancestry DNA test and some of my DNA came back Ghanaian. I also had Senegalese, Nigerian, Beninese, and Congolese DNA. I'm kind of expecting him to light up or, you know, at least think that's really cool, but his face is just kind of eh. And then he says... Those things are nice, and it's great that you know that, but none of us are from one place. All of Africa is ours. So I've got that to think about as our server puts the grilled fish in front of us. After lunch, we head to our final destination for the day, Black Star Square. As we pull up, the first thing we see is the Black Star Gate. It's this massive, 70-feet-tall arch with the words freedom and justice written at the top. And above those words is a single black star. Now, that star actually goes back to a Jamaican guy by the name of Marcus Garvey. He was a businessman and an activist back in the 1920s. He's seen as one of the pioneers of Pan-Africanism. Garvey used the Black Star to signify the emancipation of the African continent. 
If Black Star rings any bells and makes you think of the hip hop duo with Talib Kweli and Yasin Bey, well, they got the name from Marcus Garvey, and so did Kwame Nkrumah. He put the Black Star into the center of Ghana's flag, and he also commissioned the building of Black Star Gate and the surrounding square right after Ghana gained its independence. The square itself is actually this huge lot right by the ocean with stands on either side that's built to hold around 30,000 people. Emmanuel leads us across the square to a spot where we can look out toward the ocean. He points out a building that's right along the shoreline, a building that looks like a fortress. Emmanuel says that this is Osu Castle. It was built in the 1660s by Denmark, and over the years it changed hands between European powers. Throughout its history, it was primarily used as a hub for the sale of guns, liquor, iron tools, and at one point, for the sale of enslaved Africans. Between us and Osu Castle, there's a stretch of beach where we can see a group of kids playing a competitive game of soccer. These kids are screaming for fouls and not paying us or the castle any money. We walk over to the statue of a soldier that stands at the front of Black Star Square. This is the memorial of the unknown soldier, and it represents all of the Africans that died in European wars during the years of colonial oppression. European nations conscripted thousands of Africans to go and fight for the sovereignty of those European countries. What I remember most about it is when Emmanuel was speaking and saying how after fighting for other countries, countries that like really had nothing to do with them, but coming back and being like, oh wait, we learned the way these people fought for their independence and for their livelihood. We can do that here. That's what I remember most while looking at this soldier, the statue of the soldier. We walk over to Black Star Gate. We go inside and we climb the few flights of stairs to the top. From there, we have this incredible view of the entire square, Osu Castle, and the beach, which seemed to stretch on forever. The kids have finished their game, and it looks like they're getting ready to go home. We take in the breeze and the sights for a moment, and then we head back to the car. As we drive away from Black Star Square, I'm tossing in my head everything I've seen today. I'm thinking of the return that W.E.B. Du Bois made in 1961, and the return that so many people made in 2019, and the return that Edith from Bed-Stuy just recently made. All of them left 50 white stars to find themselves under this one black star. And here I am doing the same. We drive probably 10 minutes before Emmanuel pulls over. One last stop. A fruit stand on the side of the road where we could pick up some more soursop. We bought it on the side of the road and you were so excited. You actually got out the car and you came back so happy because you had a whole bag of soursop. Um, And then we were stuck in traffic and we ate some of the soursop in the car. We didn't even make it home. We cracked it open with our thumbs and we quietly in the backseat of the tour guide's car, we ate the soursop. He was okay with that, by the way, when he saw us. He knew it made us happy. Yeah. Special thanks to my lovely fiance, Renee, for reminiscing with me about our trip to Ghana for today's episode. This podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. Our production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, Peter Clowney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tinder. 
This episode was sound designed and mixed by John Delore. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There's a link in our episode description. My name is Baudelaire. I hope to do this again with you sometime. Mm. <laughs> Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure they are always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. Save big money on protecting your garden. Now at Menards. Messina's Animal Stopper is a liquid repellent that prevents pesky animals from damaging your garden. Available in a convenient, ready-to-use bottle. It lasts for up to 30 days, regardless of weather and watering. Save big money on Messina's Animal Stopper at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards.